0: Get your head in the game! Welcome, everyone, to Ball Up Top Basketball Philosophy. I'm your host, Mike. So this week, we're going to cover something. We're going to cover narratives, and narratives are kind of going to be a long-standing theme of the show, though in this case, I don't want to say, it's not going to be like a series, like the rebounding was a part two series. Narratives are just going to show up from time to time. Every once in a while, I'll probably get in a conversation on Twitter that'll bring up a narrative that I kind of feel like needs to be addressed. The narrative we're going to address this week is the 2007 Cleveland Cavaliers. So what's the narrative? Well, there's this idea that in 2007, the Cavs were this garbage team and 22-year-old LeBron James came out of like broke out and took this nothing team to the NBA finals. So let's let's talk about the Cavaliers first. I'm going go to go just some of the more basic things. The first being that Cleveland had the fourth ranked highest ranked defense. Let me back up for a second. Understand, like I am not here to trash on LeBron because LeBron was amazing in that in, in that finals run. Like he, like it was him breaking out as an elite player. Like I'm not here to trash him, but I do. It does bother me when I listen to people try to build up the case for him by trashing his teammates. That does bother me. So as I was saying, the Cavaliers. That year they finished second in the division with 50 wins. They were 50 and 32. And LeBron was really coming into his own that season. He started off, he, started, he played 78 games, averaging 27.3 points. 6.7 rebounds, 6 assists. He, he was really, like, uh, from... I know people say that when LeBron came in the league at 18, he was a leader. And and I'm not going to dismiss that, because he, he probably does have some natural leadership qualities. But he didn't have the experience. And I always found it funny when people were like, Oh, well, he's a leader, and you've got these guys in their team in their 30s. Like, I'm not sure so much he's a leader as much as he is just the best player. But in 2007, like I felt like, LeBron really broke out and began to really be the leader. Also on the team, you had like Larry Hughes, who averaged 14.9 points. Drew Gooden, who was 11.1. Zildjus Ogalskis, who was 11.9. And they had a bunch of solid role players. But the bread and butter of that team was their defense, where they ranked fourth in the league. And the reason I bring up the defense first is to understand that defense is a cohesive effort. And it's one of those things where if one person is failing, the system fails. So as great as LeBron has been, on that side of the ball... Everybody else also had to step up and be a part of the whole. Now, if you look at the the calves on paper, you're like, oh, there's nothing there. But this is one of those things where the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Because how they played together, that's what made them who they were. That's what, like, helped break through... Uh, I don't know. Break through the glass ceiling, so to speak. It, it got them from being just a, a team to an upper upper echelon team. So the other thing about the regular season I want to go over with Cleveland specifically is that that 2007 season I mentioned earlier. Braun played 78 games, and Braun was amazing. However. He, he missed four games. And in that four games, the first one being against Philadelphia, the second being against Golden State, the third against Sacramento and the fourth against Boston. But in those games, the Cavaliers went 3 and 1. Now, this is hugely important to what happens in the playoffs. Because in the playoffs, the Cavaliers start off. <clears throat> excuse me. In the, in the playoffs, the Cavaliers started off as the second seed. They had the second best record in the conference. The Bulls, meanwhile, started off as the fifth seed. And even though they had the third best record in the conference, it's just how the playoff standings were. Cleveland had 50 wins, the Bulls had 49. So the Bulls had one less win, but though the LeBronless Cavs went 3-1. If they lose one more game, it's both teams end up with 49 wins, but Chicago had the tiebreaker. So that would have made Chicago the number two seed, and it would have made the Cavs the number five seed. Now, why is that important? That's important because Cleveland in the first round faced the seven seed Washington Wizards, who are 41 and 41. And then the second round, they faced the New, New Jersey Nets, who are 41 and 41. The Nets were granted, the Nets, you know, the, it was the J Kid era of the Nets. So they had been a successful Nets team. So I don't want to pretend like, you know, they were. They were a nothing team, because that's not fair or accurate. But they also weren't the team that went to the finals in the early 2000s. They just weren't that team anymore. So the Nets beat the Raptors four games to two. That was the the 3-6 matchup. So then the Cavs went on to face the Pistons... LeBron James was incredible. That was like that. There was that game against the Pistons where he scored 25 straight points and all, all 18 points in overtime. Like he was, he was amazing. Like I really to this day I think that was like that was his breakout moment in NBA history. And he did, you know, and they went on to face the Spurs in the finals. But like I said, the Cavs lose one more game. That changes everything. Chicago becomes the two seed. Cleveland becomes the five seed. That means Cleveland in the first round faces the Dwayne Wade, Shaq, Miami Heat. Now, the the Shaq, Wade, Miami Heat did get swept by the Bulls. But during the regular season, they had beaten the Cavs three out of four times. It would have been bad matchups for them. Now, I, I, I don't like really going into hypotheticals. So I'm really going to try not to stray and say, oh, well, this would happen. I don't know what would happen in the series. But the evidence suggests that it was going to be either a very hard series or the Heat could have won. That means the second round, they would have sit there and played... Instead of playing the instead of playing the Nets, they would have played the Pistons in the second round. Now I'll I'll give and I can give them the benefit of the doubt. They beat the Pistons last time. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt and say they'll beat the Pistons this time, which puts them in a hypothetical situation in the conference finals against the Bulls if everything plays out seed wise where the Bulls and the Cavs split the even season series and the Bulls would have had home court advantage. Now I'm not saying it's impossible that the Cavs would have gotten back to the finals. I'm just saying that that when the Cavs went three and one without Braun, it ensured this path that they got, which had them play two five hundred teams before running into the Pistons. Overall it's it's it proves the worth. It's one aspect besides defense that proves the worth of the guys playing on Braun's team. Now, like I said in the beginning, I'm not dismissing Braun. Braun was the most important player. Without him, they're probably a lottery team. But there's been play, But that's been the case for a lot of teams throughout NBA history, where you take off, off their best player and then they become a lottery team. So let's let's go into the playoff series themselves, because like I said, the, the narrative is that Braun did this by himself, and 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 they and people downgrade and talk about his team was trash. Like I've heard so many negative things that it really does bother me. I'm a person that believes that if you have to, I don't. I'm not saying use if you can if you have facts to back up your point, that's great. But if you have to just use opinions to tear down other people to either make your competition look worse or his teammates look worse so that your favorite player looks better. Like, that's a problem. That means you can't really make an argument. It means that you're sitting there and trying to myth-build. So, Cavs and the Wizards, first round. It was a 4-0 sweep. Um, Braun was Braun. Came out 27 points, 8.5 rebounds, 7.5 assists, 1.8 steals. He was broad. Larry Hughes averaged 19 a game. Ilgalskis averaged 19 a game. And Drew Gooden averaged 14 and 10 a game. It doesn't sound like a guy who's by himself. That's a 4-0 sweep. Next round, they faced the Suns. Not the Suns, my bad. The New Jersey Nets. And against the Nets, it went six games. Another 41 and 41 team. In that series, Ron averaged 24.7 points, 7.3 rebounds, 8.5 assists. Larry Hughes averaged 13.8. Ilgalskis averaged 11.2 and 9 rebounds. Drew Gooden averaged 10.7 and 9.5 rebounds. Sasha Pavlovic averaged 10 to average 10 points. They had five guys in double figures. As opposed to the Nets who had four. Now, the Nets had firepower, but they were still a five-hundred ball club. They had Vince Carter, they had Richard Jefferson, they had Jason Kidd, but even with having all of those, it wasn't resulting in victories. It it was probably, I could look at it, they were fun to watch, but there was chemistry issues. Like, they not chemistry issues as in personnel and how they agreed with each other and played with each other, but as, as, as in how it resulted in victories. But once again, the Cavs, Brian was the best player, but he had help. He had people showing up. He had people putting in an effort. And once again, like they they, they played really good defense. If, in the whole series, the Nets never scored over ninety six points. So that takes us to the conference finals against the Pistons. Um, as stated before, Braun was amazing, absolutely amazing but let's look at the defense of the Cavs. The the Detroit scored over 100 points once. They were at 76 points twice, 82 points twice and 87 points. Like this was except for one game where it was 109 to 107. And that was the, the and I and that was the uh LeBron James double overtime breakout game. Like these were all Defensive fights, and because they're defensive fights, we, you have to you have to also look at them in that way. So, for the Pistons, um, they had four guys in double figures. Hamilton was at nineteen point seven, Billups at fifteen point three, Rasheed at fourteen, and Chris Webber at eleven point five. So it's not like they were going to be these world beaters. They were low-scoring games. LeBron was the best player on the floor. He averaged 25.7. Daniel Booby Gibson averaged 13.5 and shot 46% from the field and shot 50% from three-point land. He was huge. Zilduris Algascus averaged 12.8 points and nine rebounds. Then you had Gooden and Pavlovic, both over nine. Once again, he had help. Now, but I don't know why people. Are, so I do have theories as to why they get stuck on this. But I always hear how trash this team was. But all the evidence points to the contrary. As I said, if you if you're doing it on paper and you're going to compare it to other teams, you're like, yeah, this is bad. But this was a sum. As a group, they played very well together. As a group, they made this finals run. They Did they have an easier path than they could have had? Yes. But I'm not going to dismiss and say they couldn't have got there the other way. I'm just saying they had an easier path, and they capitalized. They did exactly what they were supposed to do. LeBron did exactly what he was supposed to do. And it was still impressive that a 22-year-old guy had led his team to the nba finals without another all-star like that's still impressive of course we know like when they got to and they faced the spurs it was it was a 4-0 sweep it wasn't pretty um yeah they they were point blank there was just no match for the spurs but even though being no match for the spurs Spurs, the Spurs had only had one game over 100 points. They had one game where they only scored 75 points. My point being is, the defense was still there. It was, even though it was a sweep, a one-point loss, a three-point loss, and then two, uh, well then an 11-point loss and a nine-point loss. But the thing is, is there were two very competitive games. The scores were never out of control. The Spurs' defense is what really kind of made the biggest difference. The Spurs' numbers, Tony Parker was 24.5. Duncan, 18.3 and 11.5. Ginobili, 17.8. So they only had three guys in double figures. It's not like they were, they weren't, just just demolishing them on the offensive end. As I stated, it was a defensive thing. Tony Parker was Finals MVP. For the Cavs, LeBron, 22 points on 35% shooting. Now, do I think LeBron played bad? No, I think the Spurs geared their defense towards him, and there wasn't enough offensive help. Once again, doesn't mean the team was trash. It just means they didn't have enough offensive help. Because they were in games with their defense. Gooden scored 12.8 and 8.3 rebounds. Booby Gibson averaged 10.8 on 31% from three-point land. Ilgalska 7.8 and 10 rebounds. He had key contributors. What it really came down to it, is as great as LeBron was in the postseason run, is he wasn't the player he would have needed to be to win. I, you could have put Prime Braun in there and that Spurs team was so geared on him with Bruce Bowen and Ginobili and how they played defense it still might not have mattered. But he had a good team. Everybody talks about oh is it was the worst no it was not. That was a good team. Was it great? No. But they were a team. They played together well, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And it gave them fighting chances in all of these games. So, why do people go after narratives like that? It's it's kind of a recent phenomenon. I don't mean recent like the last couple years. I mean recent like the last 10 to 15 years. Where... People get so invested in their favorite players that it's almost like they tie part of their own identity to it. So, and you can still still see it today. Go on to to social media and start having conversations with people about, about their favorite players. You would swear that all of these players had no faults. Never make a mistake. They will, and they will rationalize every poor choice. LeBron James is one of the greatest who's ever done it. But people will be like, oh, he's an elite defender. No, LeBron's a very good defender while he was, but like he was only an elite defender for a few years. They'll be like, oh, James Harden's the greatest scorer of all time. Well, no. James Harden has won a couple scoring titles, and he's dominated the ball a lot. But scoring has to also ultimately lead to the end goal. And if your scoring is not leading to the end goal, then there's questions about that. If, if you, you know you don't have the most scoring titles, you don't have the most points per game, you you don't have the most of all these things, then you know like what do you have to hang your hat on? The point being is these are great players, but people will out of their way to try to myth build, to make them more legendary than they are. It, they try to force conversations that used to come naturally. Like, I don't know if you've heard these things, but like, I've heard Shaq say it. I've heard Allen Iverson say it. Like, they'll talk about LeBron. And they'll be like, well, when did LeBron pass Kobe. Now, I'm not here to get into argument about LeBron versus Kobe, so on and so forth. Like, both sides have their merits. But the point being is, there was a, there's a media interest in in elevating LeBron to force that conversation. Where it always seemed like in the past, before people started tying their identities to individual players and tied them to teams, that. You didn't have these conversations that were forced. People's natural athleticism, ability to play, skills, and talent would automatically elevate them after their accomplishments came into these conversations. It goes back to the narrative. So people make these narratives because they want their guy. They they want their guy to be better. And to some degree, I think, and this is me speculating off of one semester of psychology, I think that they make these narratives because that is their guy. And if if their guy is not the best, because we all want to feel like winners, what does that say about them? I don't know. Like that's getting, that's going down a, a psychological rabbit hole, which is probably good for another class. But the point, going back to the original lesson, is the point is the narrative. So if you ever see these conversations, like just understand that the that people want, or people have an agenda, and that agenda is not the truth. That agenda is their emotional well being. It's how they play. It's how they thrive. Or they maybe they just want to troll you and argue with you, but there's a, there is an agenda, because if you really if you really sit there and if you watch the games, if you look into the stats, if you sit there and pay attention to the players involved, then you would know. Like no, that was not a trash team. Now, do I think that? Like I said before, I don't think they would have made the playoffs without him, and I'm not going to sit there and down his ability because that because. He was the most important player on that squad. And they don't do it without him. But winning, luck, preparation, all those things intertwine to have success. So to act like LeBron just took the league over and that's how he got there, is not fair either. And it's not fair to, to LeBron's teammates who... Have been you know like they get they get a bum rap being a LeBron teammate with some fans is very difficult because when you have success, braun gets a lot of credit, and when you fail, you get the blame that's uh, there's the uh, fans cause this certain and I don't think LeBron doesn't cause this some of his fans cause this toxicity, but I don't completely blame the fans either I do blame. Stephen A. Smith, I blame Skip Bayless. I blame Nick Wright when they played these games like, oh, well, who is to blame when there's a loss? Like, everyone's to blame. It's a team game. You can find no nobody plays perfect games. So, overall, just pay attention to the narratives. And, and understand, we all have our favorite players, and we all blow them up a little bit. So, if you're going to blow up your favorite player, that's fine. But you don't have to trash his teammates or other people's opposition to make them seem better than they are. Their work will always speak for itself. So, I'm Mike, and this is Basketball Philosophy. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. We are within a couple weeks of our first YouTube NFT show. We'll be back Tuesday with another uh, Ball Up Top podcast. So until then, have a good night. Stay safe. Stay warm. Peace. Get your head in the game.